you would, for our sermon, let's turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We will read verses 19 to the end of the chapter, verses 19 through 24. Tonight's sermon will be on uh, Psalm 4. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Seben picked out Psalm 3 for us to sing this morning. It's a morning prayer, and tonight we hear another prayer. It'll be an evening prayer. That's Psalm 4. How does David deal with the it coming to the end of a day when his son has and all those in his coup against his, the, his kingdom? Uh, how will he deal with the slander that has come his way? Uh, we'll talk about that tonight. Psalm 139, verses 19 through 24. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. The word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray for a moment. Our Father, we know that Jesus has said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And so, Father, we would ask, Lord, that You would feed us that meat today. Help us to use our spiritual mouths of faith and take in what You teach us that we might be strengthened uh, even this hour. We thank you again for this opportunity to worship. Help us now as we hear and read your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been studying the discipleship of our children, and we've asked questions. The first question we ask is, when do we do this? When do we begin to do this? The second question we ask is, uh, how or, or where do we start? How do we start? And we said, when we begin to do this. When do we begin to disciple our children? Well, we could argue that we do it while they're in the womb, but we definitely start doing it the first day they're born. We also have a, a very solemn and serious time in our church when we bring our children for baptism. And when we bring our children for baptism, water is poured on their heads. It's a usually very sentimental time, but it has a very doctrinal meaning for us going to pour that water on their heads. And then we're going to teach them why that water was poured on their heads. We're going to teach them that that water preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to teach them that they, just as water washes uh, dirt from the skin, they need the blood of Jesus to wash their sins away in their hearts. That the, the uh, administration of baptism is not just a sign of what needs to take place, but it's a promise, it's a seal, that if we put our faith and trust in what the water preaches, that we are forgiven and we are saved. We are basically, as parents, vowing to be evangelists in the home every, every day of the week. Not only are we vowing to be evangelists in the home, but we are also going to teach our children how to pray. We're going to pray for our children. We're going to pray with our children. We're going to be examples of prayer to our children. We're going to teach our children, as John Calvin calls it, the chief exercise of faith. We're going to teach them to pray. 
And we are going to be, as we said, godly examples. All of this at the end, we always say, Lord, how can we do this apart from your grace? We vow, Lord, we can't do this apart from your grace. Well, that's when to begin. Well, what about where do we begin? And that led us to Psalm 139. We began to ask this question. We begin with God, who is God and what God is like. And as we come to Psalm 139, we see that in those first verses, those first 18 verses, we've seen that God is omniscient. God knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows when we sit down, when we rise up. He knows uh, words that we're going to say before they ever come out of our mouth. He encloses us before us, behind us, and his hand is over us. Those are some great thoughts to think about. The second thing we talked about is God is uh, omnipresent. And that means that God is with us at all times. There's no place we can go from his spirit. And the third thing we talked about last week was God is omnipotent. God is all powerful. We talked about the fact that God is the one who created all the things that we see, the big stuff. And also God creates that little bitty baby that's forming in the womb from the very beginning. God is the creator of even that in that secret place. When we get to verses 17 and 18, the psalmist is utterly amazed at God's preoccupation with him. God is never stopping his thoughts about the psalmist. And God always thinks about us as well. But now here's the million dollar question. And if you've read Psalm 139, you know the answer. But let's just say that you're reading it for the first time. What drives the psalmist to think these thoughts about God? We don't hear it until we get to verse 19. Do you know what's driving him? Do you know, you know why he's thinking these big thoughts about God? Do you know why he needs to think about a shelter and why he needs to think about security? It's because he has opposition. It's because he has adversaries. And adversaries show up here in verse 19. And this is what causes David to re-explore who God is and what God is like because he needs this assurance. He needs to know that God is with him. And now we turn to another one of God's attributes, and that is that God is holy. This means that God judges the wicked. God is holy, and this means that God separates himself from the wicked. And how do we see that in this passage? Well, we see that God is holy because God has given holy commandments to us. And the wicked love to break the commandments of God. The psalmist has chosen his side. He's chosen God's side. He's chosen to line up with God. And because of this, he finds himself at odds with those who do not line up or side with God. Those are the opposition. Those are the wicked. And if you and I, if we line up under holy God's word, if we line up under a holy God's commandments, you better get ready. You will find yourself on the wrong side of some of your friends. The wrong side of some people at work, the wrong side of some people when you go out to eat. Jesus says this in John 15, 18 and 20. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The Apostle Paul, and we could give you many other passages, but the one that really sticks out is, and indeed all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So congregation and young people, Understand that God is holy. God reveals his holiness to us. This is, this is something we really need to stop and think about this. God reveals his holiness to us in the, in the Bible, but especially in the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments tell us how holy God is, and the Ten Commandments tell us how much God wants us to be like Him. He gives us these commandments to live by, and He explains His love to us in these commandments. How do we... We ask this ch- the children the question, how can I love God and enjoy Him forever? By loving Him and keeping His commandments. How can I glorify God? I, I got that wrong a little bit. The children's catechism says, how can I glorify God and enjoy Him forever? And the answer is, by loving Him and keeping His, as my three-year-old daughter used to say, commandments. She left the, a, the, K, the C off. It's the commandments. It's the commandments of God. I hope to persuade you to remember this. It's, it's not the commandments of God are not given to keep us from the fun. Isn't that what we do think sometimes? Oh, the commandments of God are there to keep us from the fun. This just keeps me from the fun. It restricts me. I don't get to do the things I would really want to do. Mom and dad, when they tell me not to touch the fire, they really, they're really trying to keep me from the fun. When mom and dad tell me not to touch the burner, they're really trying to keep me from the fun. No, they're not. They're trying to keep you from the harm. They're trying to keep you from the hurting. Now, when you know, if you ever uh, do like sometimes we might do, bump into the burner, you know, with an elbow or with a hand, uh, you know, you see, you didn't really <laughs> on purpose. It's not keeping you from the fun, friends. It's keeping you from the harm. When mom and dad tell us things to do, they're doing this. They're telling us not to keep us from the fun but to keep us from the harm. It's always the temptation, though, to think that the real fun is on the other side of the rule. The real fun is on the other side of the boundary. But the rules are in place for a reason. The rules have been given to us so that we might glorify God and enjoy God, that we might not cross over the boundary, but stay in the boundaries. And when we stay in the boundaries of God's word, we find ourselves loving God. We find ourselves holy or more, you know, we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven, but we find ourselves being more like God, more holy. We find living in his framework, maximum enjoyment. But, you know, again, God doesn't give these commands to oppress us. He doesn't give these commands to keep us down. But that's what the devil says. You know what the devil, I think the devil's the original Marxist, isn't he? He's the one who says, look, I'm here to oppress you. I'm going to keep you, Adam and Eve, down. I'm not going to let you have the fun. You can't eat this fruit. Because, see, I know that if you eat this fruit, you're going to have maximum pleasure. Isn't that right? Isn't that, that today explains the Bible. The devil, what the devil wants to do is he wants to separate God and his love. He says, God and love over here. God, God is stingy, not loving. God's trying to keep you from the fun. God's trying to keep you from the best. No, God's trying to keep you from the harm so that you might live the the best. You have your best life now on this earth as you obey God. Oh, me. Use somebody's statement there, didn't I? God wants us to have the best life now as we obey His Word, operate according to His Word. Not to separate love and God, but keep love and God together. The the commandments of God equal love. God's love. You know, we were talking with the men yesterday over here. We set the tables up. And uh, Mr. Blacklock and I went and visited a young man about probably five weeks ago. He was sitting there and he was telling us how, how, not, how, how much not of a very good time he was having. And I, I, I said, well, 
um, when were you having a better time? And he said, when I was reading the Bible. I said, well, it sounds like you got part of the answer. You need to go back to reading your Bible. Because you see, living in the Bible is where we start knowing we're doing the right thing. Living, it's just as simple. It's not hard. It's not, you don't have to go to seminary to know this. You go read your Bible and all of a sudden you know that God's connected with you. This book is more alive than you are. These words are more powerful than any power you can exert as a man. Even if you're trying, even if one of these 400 guys who lifts houses, this word is powerful. And you go and read it. Where do, where, young people, where are fish the happiest? Are fish the happiest on the bank, on the shore, in the sun? Or are they the happiest in the water? You see, when you have a fish and that fish is in the lake, the fish is swimming, the fish is safe from the birds, the fish is out there eating, the fish is out there doing the things he likes to do, up and down and side to side they go. But if that fish thinks to himself, hmm, I think I'll jump out of the water. I think I'll get on the shore. I think I'll lather up some sunscreen on me and get myself a suntan. What happens to the fish? That fish flips, it flops, it dries out, it dies, and birds pick out its eyes. That's not very pretty, right? That's not flourishing. But you and I, when we abide in Christ's words, when we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, as we prayed just a few minutes ago, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. The disciples said, <laughs> Jesus said that, Have, has somebody fed him? There's, there's some real satisfaction to obeying God's commandments, soul, this real satisfaction, maybe sometimes to the point we don't even need to eat for a while. And you and I are going to be maximally, ha ma maximally happy when we obey His Word. If we disobey, we need to repent quickly, confess our sins quickly, and get right back into those commandments and get right back into that water, if you will. Yet staying in this environment, staying in these waters means opposition. Pleasing God's going to mean that you're going to be faced with enemies and those who are wicked who oppose you. And so here's the question. The psalmist has made his choice. Have you? The psalmist is saying, live in the waters of God's commandments and face opposition or live against God's commandments and face God's opposition. Which one do you want? You have to make your decision. And the sermon title this morning is this, The One Who Pleases God. And I want to give you two points. The one who pleases God is loyal, and the one who pleases God is vulnerable. Let's think about those two points. Loyal and vulnerable. The one who pleases God is loyal. The, the loyal one, the loyal one who pleases God identifies who the wicked are. Who are the wicked? Verse 19 says, he, he says wicked there. Well, wicked there, slay the wicked. The wicked, that's a general term. What's that mean? Well, it just means, bottom line, somebody who's out of harmony with God and out of harmony with God's people. That's very general. Um, somebody's hostile toward God and hostile toward God's people. But let's get more particular. Look at verse 19. He says, Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. There's a violation of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. And then if you look down in verse 20, he gets more particular. Not just general, wicked, out of harmony with God. Now he says, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. There's a violation of the third commandment. 
their third commandment violators and their sixth commandment violators and probably all the rest as well. These are men who are wicked, men who violate the commandments of God. They, if we just looked at those commandments for a second, they take God's name in vain. You know, and I, I will remind you of this. I, this always comes to my mind. I think I said this so many times. You know the way that people take God's name in vain the most today? They just don't take it at all. They just don't use it at all. We live in a secularized community, a world, and we don't even refer to God at all. And then men who take God's not only take God's name in vain, but they uh, are bloodthirsty men. They're men who are full of angry passions. Folks, listen, I would, bid, I, would, I would ask that you think real carefully about how much you watch on TV because everybody on TV is full of angry passions. It's just amazing. Be careful. Wicked folks take God's name in vain. Wicked folks are full of angry passions. Express it with mean and harsh, accus- accusatory, slanderous words. And then who knows what they do with their hands. So loyalty that pleases God identifies the wicked. Second, loyalty that pleases God knows the wicked man's doom. Look at what it says there in verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. So the psalmist knows the course of a wicked man's life is to die and be in his destiny is not the good place. It's not everlasting life, but it's destruction. And he is praying, Lord, destroy them now or destroy them later, but destroy the wicked. Now, we've seen on our Sunday night's uh, studies, we've seen that the Lord destroys people before the day of judgment. We've seen Hophni and Phinehas die. God killed them. God's going to kill Saul. God killed Nabal. Those are just pictures of being judged before the time. The Lord, he, that we please God when we identify the wicked and their destination. And then he says this, loyalty that pleases God separates from the wicked now. Look at verse 19. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. Now, this is the question of separation. Now, this is, this is a little sticky. Because Jesus says, love your enemies. So, here's Jesus saying, love your enemies. And David saying, depart from men of bloodshed. So, we have a little bit of a contrast here. Think about this. What does it not mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you, that David, that I, that we can separate ourselves completely from wicked people, from sin, because we would have to go out of the world. And then once we go out of the world, we would have to separate ourselves from ourselves because guess who still have sin remaining inside of us? So we would have to separate from everybody and then we would have to separate from ourselves because until we meet Jesus we still are going to be dealing with remaining sin. We said last week, I, I think we, I referred to this, that Martin Luther separated from the world. He, he uh, was on his way home. A thunderstorm was going on. Lightning struck a tree. He cried out to one of his saints, Help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. Seven days later, he goes into the monastery and he hopes that be, being there, he'll be separated from all sin. And he finds out that he has a world of iniquity remaining on the inside. (laughs) So it doesn't mean separating from every wicked person. We are to be in this world, but not of the world. But what does it mean then, depart from me? Well, you and I, we must separate from evil persons. 
you and I, we must separate from those marked by open evil practices. People who desire to defy God. People who speak maliciously of God. Now, I'm going to say something with great care, but don't, and don't take me wrong, but there's going to be times with family members, there are going to be times with men or women that they call themselves our Christian brothers, people at work, when you must choose loyalty to God over them. They're going to want to go in a certain direction with a conversation. They're going to want to go and watch a certain TV program. You've been with your friends. You're out to eat, and all of a sudden things begin to go sideways. And if you can't change the direction of that, you have a choice to make. Loyalty to God or loyalty to the friends. And at times your friends, when you choose God, they're going to say, I can't believe you're hating me. You're hating on me. Don't we hear that term? We're haters. No, no, I'm choosing God's will over you. My loyalty to God comes first. Loyalty that pleases the Lord sides with the Lord. Verse 21, do not hate, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise against you? So David is going to side with the Lord. Did you hear the strong language given here? I do I not hate those who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Spurgeon says this about this passage. He says, you and I are to be good haters. A good hater is someone who hates what only God hates. Has to hate what God hates. Now, you and I were never to hate an enemy out of spite. We're never to hate an enemy for personal retaliation. We're never to hate anyone desiring to get revenge. But you and I are only to hate the enemies of God. You and I are only to hate those who are enemies of all goodness and righteousness. It's our obligation to hate the enemies of God. It would be a crime not to hate the enemies of God. And the more we please God and the more we're loyal to God, the more... We hate it when people will refuse Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it like this. Now, I'm going to balance this out, so stick with me. In 1 Corinthians 16, 22, the Apostle Paul says, If any man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be delivered over to destruction. That's pretty strong stuff. Now, this brings us to the question of shocking petitions here. Listen to these petitions. Oh, that you, O oh Lord, would slay the wicked. Isn't that just inappropriate? <laughs> but Paul just said it. If any man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be delivered over to destruction. So what's it going to be? <laughs> love your neighbor? Do good to your, to your enemies? Bless your enemies? Pray for those who mistrust you? Yes, it's going to be both. Listen, listen carefully. I don't think sometimes we think enough about this. When we're dealing with the wicked, we say slay the wicked and bring them to the end of themselves. We say, Lord, slay the wicked and bring them to Jesus Christ. Or ultimately, if they don't come to Jesus Christ, it's absolutely fine to pray, slay the wicked in judgment. It's both. Until the final day of judgment, Jesus sits on his throne 
And we must hate sin and sinners like Jesus. And we must love, love sinners and present mercy to them that comes from only Jesus. Jesus prays on the, on the cross, Father, forgive them. And we need to pray, Father, grant sinners repentance. Grant sinners faith that they might put their trust in Jesus Christ. Because we know if they do not repent and do not put their faith in Christ, that Jesus will say to them on the last day, depart from me, you evil doers. Jesus will judge. And at the last day, all those who will not do the Father's will during this life, they will hear Jesus say, depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fires prepared for the devil and his angels. But Jesus is constantly saying, even today, come to me. He says, come to me. Today is a day of gospel preaching. And I think one of the things that we struggle with the most is this. There's a balance. It's difficult for our minds to grasp what the Bible teaches in regard to sinners. In John 3.16, God says that he sees sinners as objects of love. For God so loved the world, a world of sinners, that he gave his only begotten son. And then John 3.18 and John 3.36, he says, If you will not believe in this son... You are condemned when? Already. It's at the same time. Objects of love, objects of wrath at the same time. So what are we to do? Well, this is difficult. We're to pray shocking petitions. Convert the evildoers or condemn the evildoers in your time. Totally, absolutely fine to say. This, this tonight and last week, we're going to talk about David, talking about Absalom. And David says this, if David is going to be saved from Absalom and his big coup against the kingdom, either Absalom has to repent and come back to being in submission and David goes back to being the king, or Absalom has to have his jaw broken and his teeth knocked out. Ooh, we don't like to hear that. <laughs> it's a fact. So we pray shocking petitions. Convert the evildoers or condemn them in your time. As you and I pray, we pray for the salvation of evildoers. We pray that Jesus Christ would save them. But we also pray that they would also, who will not repent, that his God's justice will be done. Well, second, think about this. The one who pleases God is vulnerable. Loyal and vulnerable. God is... We, he wants us to be vulnerable. We not only stand against sin in others, but we stand against sin in ourselves. We're to be vulnerable and open our hearts up for God to examine us. Search me, verse 23. Not search them, search me. Oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Alexander McLaren, he's, he gives an illustration. And it's, I think sometimes we think that uh, prison systems have, have always been the way we, we think about them. TV really tells, shows us how all these guys are sort of able to talk to each other from their cells and so on. But back in the 1800s, everybody was in solitary confinement. Did you know that? You know, if you ever watch those mo- some of the movies, um, different movies, and you'll see uh, everybody has their own cell. Everybody has their own door. And so all these guys are in their own cells, and there's a little peephole. And there's a little peephole right there, and the guy's in his room by himself. Nobody's, he can, can't see anybody. But every now and then, the, the, the guard walks up and looks in the peephole. 
Sometimes there's no eye in the peephole. Sometimes there's an eye in the peephole. And sometimes those men are in their prison cell and they feel like there's, that eye never leaves that peephole. Those men don't like it when that eye is in that peephole because they can't just sit there and do whatever they want with nobody looking. They want to be left alone. And they see that eye looking. It's an unwelcomed eye. These men said that they, they would see that eye. And literally he said, many men went insane because of that eye looking at them through that peephole. And I think that that's exactly how some people think about God. You ever thought about that? God knows us. God knows he's with us all the time. He's our creator. We, we, we know that we are his cre- creations and we should pay our rent to God. And when we think about God, we think about that eye looking through that peephole. We think about God being a divine intruder. We think about God being a divine fault finder. And we shrink back from God and we flee from God just like Adam and Eve did. But think about this text we've been studying. This God knows all about me. This God knows everything there is to know about me. He knows every word I'm going to say before I say it. He's always there. He created me. Maybe He has a reason for me to feel pain when I'm in His presence. Maybe He has a reason. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe there's a reason that I feel the way I feel when I'm in my presence, in His presence. It's, it's, isn't it interesting? So I feel this pain, and then I go and look at this Bible, and my, I'm tempted to believe there's this eye that's intruding and trying to find fault with me. And then I go read the Bible, and those eyes that look back at me are in Jesus Christ. Here's this baby. And this baby grows up to be a man. And you know how many times the Bible talks about Jesus seeing people and feeling for people and going out and doing things for people? This is God's seal, so I feel pain and I'm driven to look into the Bible and the Bible shows me not a God who's fault-finding, not a God who's trying to get me, not a God who's going to be the great disapprover and the great finger-pointer, but He shows me who He is in the person of His Son. And so I am being driven out of myself to God's Son who sees and feels and shows the love of God to me as he goes to the cross. He he bridges the gap. And I come to God through Christ, and I can say what Isaiah said. Here I am. Send me. Do with me what you want. I'm here to obey you. If only we could get this feeling and understand that this eye is not an unwelcomed eye, but it's an eye that shows us how much we need a Savior. It points me to Jesus. And Jesus' eyes are God's eyes not to stick it to me. Not to, not, to, not to show me my sin with devilish delight. But to say, here is mercy through Jesus Christ. And draw, clo- draw us close to Himself through His Son. Search me, O God, and know me. Your welcome is His divine You welcome divine uh, examination. Well, second, vulnerability welcomes the discovery of hidden sins. Try me, he says, verse 23. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. I welcome the discovery of hidden sins. I want you to help me to have the mind of Christ, he's saying. I want you to help me take every 
thought captive in obedience to Jesus Christ. And so try as you and I may as finite human beings or try to, as we may to have other people maybe even come and examine us. Only God can truly examine us. And so we ask God to take out his scalpel, knowing that he's not a mean surgeon, but he's all about the business of helping us be more like him. He may show us. You know, that, what's that in Matthew chapter 7? He talks about looking in other people's eye when you've got a big beam in your own eye. <laughs> but I'm willing to say, Lord, you know what? You made my eye. You can look in my eye. If you find a speck, show it to me. Let's get rid of it. I mean, you know, usually specs bother my eyes. I don't know about yours. Maybe you can handle more in yours than me. But, Lord, you can do it. He, he doesn't, he's not here to, 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 to harm me. He's here to help me be rid of sin so that I might walk more closely to him. Well, finally, vulnerability welcomes God's direction. And lead me in the, the everlasting way. Isn't that what we want? Lead me in the everlasting way. We are teaching our children to lead, be led in the everlasting way. We want to go through the narrow gate. We want to walk along the narrow path. We want to go to that place of everlasting life. And Jesus is the way. I am the way. And only through that way, only through that path, will we enter into glory with God. God's anger and wrath abides against sinners. We're told in the Apostle Paul in chapter two, it's really interesting. Listen to this. Going back to something I said, I want to connect the, the dots here for just a second. In Ephesians chapter two, the Apostle Paul says that we are children of wrath, even as the rest. He was a child of wrath. He comes down the road to Damascus. We studied this a few months ago. He's coming down the road to Damascus. He's going after the people who are walking according to the way And the way shows up on the road and stops him in his path. At midday, he's blind. He's condemned. He's judged by Jesus on the road. Three days later, after having been walked into town by those men who took him there, he's praying and Ananias preaches to receive Christ. Have your sins washed away. And this man who was going after Christ... To kill the people who loved him now becomes a follower of the way and he preaches that way the rest of his life. Isn't that interesting? The wrath of God against sinners is real. It will be poured out on sinners who will not turn to Christ. But just as real as God's wrath is, God's mercy is just as real. And Jesus comes and sometimes Jesus might use that feeling. Jesus might use that pain of conviction to drive us into those loving arms for mercy. I know that I probably said this before, and I can, I'm going to try to just give you the, the, the short version of it. But I remember when I was 21 years old and I was at church and the man was preaching on Sunday night. And he was preaching on the attributes of God, of all things. And, and all I know is, is that... Uh, I begin to fear. I begin to be afraid of God for the first time. And I looked around and I saw everybody acting like normal. And I was going, I don't think they're hearing the same thing I'm hearing. Um, And so I got in the car with my friends and I went back to the dorm room and said goodbye. And I'm sitting there still thinking something's what in the world I am 
afraid to die. So I went into the room and closed the door. I remember closing the lock, sat down with my Bible open, and I began to read. And I found the mercy of God in that room. Why was I afraid? Why did I go through that conviction? Because he was driving me into his merciful arms. He sees, he feels, he comes, he does. His Holy Spirit applies and we become his children. Lord, lead me in the everlasting way. Direct me to be a true follower of the way till the day I die. That's, that's to be our prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We thank you for this psalm that teaches, teaches us who you are, what you are like. You are all-knowing. You are the God who's in every place. You're our creator, all-powerful, powerful making big things and powerful making special little things, even in mom's womb. And Lord, you're holy. And we pray, Father, that we would hold fast to the law of God understanding that it is a reflection of your holiness and it shows us how much you love us. Help us to love to live in the commandments. Help us to hold fast to your truth. Help us to love those around us and Lord, help us to pray for their salvation and Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us at all times. Go with us now and we thank you for this opportunity to worship. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.